0: Welcome to the Compass Christian Church weekly sermon podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Morning. 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 All right, this morning we're going to be continuing our series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Uh, and today we're going to be covering Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 through 19. And I've titled this one Prayer for an Apocalypse which probably sounds strange to you, right? But that's on purpose. That's on purpose. One of the things that has really resonated with me about our approach to Ephesians, uh, to going through this ancient letter, is the idea of making Ephesians strange and new again to us. I think a really good example of um, something that is really familiar to us, just like Ephesians, is the Pledge of Allegiance how many of you grew up uh, in school reciting the Pledge of Allegiance every day? It looks like the majority of people here, right? Um, so I, I grew up reciting it every day. Um, I would, I had it memorized. I still have it memorized somehow. <laughs> um, but if you asked me what it meant, even though I had it memorized, I would have to stop and think about it, right? I'd have to think about the words. I'd have to go through and figure out what they meant. Like, it, it wasn't Um, clear to me immediately without going deeper into it. Um, And I think at times I've had a similar issue with with the letter to the Ephesians. Um, It's become so familiar that we have to work a little bit harder um, to let it be strange and new to us again. So that's what we've been trying to do. Um, So now I want to take some time to remind us of the the four themes um, in Ephesians that Pastor Will has talked about. Uh, so these are themes throughout the book, and it's just a good reminder of, as we're reading through it that um, these are themes that are kind of carried throughout the book. So the first one that we have is community-oriented versus individualistic. So there are lots of U's in the letter, and every single one of those U's is plural in the Greek. Uh, so to add some clarity to the English where you can say "you" and not know if it's singular or plural, Um, we've been pronouncing them as y'all, right? (laughs) Uh, We we also have this Western mindset that's very individualistic. Um, So we see you. We don't know if it's it's you singular or you plural, and we assume it refers to me, right? Um, So there are going to be a lot of y'alls and y'allses in the passage today, and that's why. That's why we're reading it that way. So the second theme that we have is new creation slash apocalypse and new order of things in Jesus. So we're going to talk a lot more about this today, uh, if you couldn't tell by the title of the sermon. Uh, third, we have unity in Christ and unity between heaven and earth. And finally, we have division slash battle with the powers of the world. And Pastor Will is going to be talking a lot more about this next week. Uh, So so for the past four weeks, Pastor Will has been taking us through the first 14 verses in Ephesians. And if if you remember from his intro sermon, he talked about how these ancient letters have a standard format that they go by. So you have the name of the writer and the name of the recipient. Uh, The writer is Paul. The recipient is the Ephesians. Um, But we also talked about how this may have been an encyclical letter that was sent around to various churches in the area around Ephesus. Um, So, that name of the writer and the recipient is found in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 1. Then in verse 2, there's a greeting. And then in verses 3 through 14, that's where we've really been focusing a lot of our time the past few weeks, Uh, you have what a lot of scholars call a poem of praise. This is a poem of praise to God. Uh, And verses 3 through 14 is actually one really long sentence in Greek. Uh, But I'm going to take three slides here to summarize this one sentence. Um, And as Pastor Will pointed out, this is really a a gospel presentation here in verses 3 through 14. So in verses 3 through 6, we see that we have been blessed and we've been chosen in Christ. And that in Christ is so important because Christ is the one that God chose, right? We talked about that. And as a culmination of his plan that stretched all the way back to Abraham... We are adopted as sons and daughters of God when we identify ourselves with Jesus. In verses 7 through 10, we see that we have been redeemed from slavery to the powers. And we learn the mystery of God's eternal purpose, which is that God will unite everything to himself, things in heaven and things on earth through Jesus. And we saw that this will happen in its fullness in the coming kingdom of God. In verses 11 through 14, which we talked about last week, we saw that we have been given an inheritance and that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit when we heard the gospel and responded favorably. We talked about that seal and that, that seal is likely a seal of authenticity. Imagine a brand of a horse. It shows that, that we are that we belong to God, that we are gods. We also talked about how that Holy Spirit is our down payment. It's a part of that final package that God intended that he gave to us early, and it's a down payment of the joys and blessings of the kingdom of God. All right, so we've covered verses one through 14. We're gonna finally move on to to verse 15. And verse 15 marks a shift in this letter. We finished the poem of praise that was in verses three through 14, and now we're on to the prayer, which is um, another part of the standard format of letters. They would have a prayer it's called a prayer, wish, or thanksgiving in most of the letters. There's not one in, um, I, think it's, I think it's Galatians. A lot of people think it's because Paul was angry with with uh, the people <laughs> of Galatia. <laughs> um, but almost every letter, almost every ancient letter had a prayer. And so this is what we're going to read today, verses 15 through 23. And um, I am super glad that that was actually a part of the format of ancient letters because we get a window into the Apostle Paul's prayer life that we might not otherwise get. Uh, and this verses 15 through 23 is actually one long sentence in Greek as well. So Ephesians chapter 1 is three sentences. All right, we're going we're to pick up in verse 15. So it says, For this reason, because I have heard of y'all's faith in the Lord Jesus in y'all's love toward all the saints i do not cease to give thanks for you remembering y'all sorry i do not cease to give thanks for y'all remembering y'all in my prayers that the god of our lord jesus christ the father of glory may give y'all the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of y'all's hearts enlightened that y'all may know what is the hope to which he has called y'all And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So as I, as I just mentioned, I think there are some fascinating things that we can learn about how the Apostle Paul prayed from this section. So I want to take a few minutes to examine those. Uh, the first thing I want us to notice is why Paul is praying for them. So let's go back and reread verses 15 through 16. So he says, for this reason, because I have heard of y'all's faith in the Lord Jesus and y'all's love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for y'all, remembering y'all in my prayers. So Paul says he's praying for them because he's heard reports about them, right? He's heard great reports about them. He's heard about two specific qualities that they've had. He's heard about their faith or their trust in the Lord Jesus, and he's heard about their love toward all the saints. So he's saying, I, I've heard all about you. I've heard about how you all are trusting in the Lord Jesus. You're living under his allegiance and how you're showing love towards all his people. And this is the reason why I'm praying for you all the time. And I think this is maybe a little bit different than how, how we might tend to pray, if you really think about it. I think when, if we think about why we pray, it's often for the opposite reason of this. You know, I've been praying for you because I heard you all were struggling with your faith, or you were struggling with your love for your neighbor. Or we might say, I really need prayer because I've been struggling with my faith or struggling with with something. The way that Tim Mackey puts it uh, in his Exploring My Strange Bible podcast is that it appears that Paul's thinking about prayer here like it's adding fuel to a fire. I really love that, that imagery. He's adding fuel to a fire that's already burning. So Paul sees this raging fire of faith and love for neighbor in, in the, the believers in the city of Ephesus, and he thinks this fire needs to keep burning. They need prayer. And he also sees fires that are at risk of going out, and he thinks this fire needs to keep burning. They need prayer too. So I think this is a really important truth that we can see modeled here in the Apostle Paul. We need prayer at all times, regardless of whether or not we're struggling or excelling in our faith. The second thing I want us to notice is how Paul is praying for them. Here in verse 16, he says that he does not cease to give thanks for them. And in Romans, he he talks about uh, the believers at Rome, and he says that he remembers them in his prayers at all times. In 1 Thessalonians, he says he mentions them unceasingly in all his prayers. So Paul clearly makes it a habit to pray for these congregations that he helped establish all the time. He's praying for them all the time, no matter whether they're struggling or flourishing in their faith. The final thing for us to notice is what Paul is praying for. And this is actually going to be the topic of the rest of the sermon and probably the next sermon next week. Um, but at least I, I want us to note at the beginning what Paul is not praying for. I think it's notable that he's not praying for their circumstances here. And I think this also can be uh, sometimes in stark contrast to how we pray. You know, We tend to pray frequently for our health or our jobs or our families, or relationships. All those things are circumstances, right? Uh, But in verse 17, Paul prays instead that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. My point here isn't that we shouldn't be praying for our circumstances. I think we should be praying for our circumstances. There are tons of examples throughout the Bible of people that prayed for their circumstances because they feared for their life or they had health issues or other things like that. Like we should absolutely pray for our circumstances. But my point is that we shouldn't just be praying for our circumstances. I actually think like all three of these things that we've mentioned are, are interconnected. I think it's really easy for us to fall into a rut where we view prayer merely as a way of meeting our physical needs. And if we do that, Uh, then when we or others have those physical needs temporarily met, we might not think that we need to pray. But what we see here from the Apostle Paul is a different kind of prayer. It's one that asks God to reveal things to us or others so that we can grow in our knowledge of him, our knowledge of God. This is a persistent need that transcends any physical need that we would have. And I think if we view prayer in this way, then we'll be more likely to recognize our persistent need for prayer. All right, so we talked about what Paul is not praying for. Now we're going to talk about what Paul is praying for. And I just hinted at that. And you may have guessed from the title of the sermon, but Paul is praying for an apocalypse. Again, I said this probably sounds weird to you. That's good. We're trying to make it sound weird. And uh, it sounds weird because when we think of apocalypse, you probably think of the end of the world. You think of zombies, like Will mentioned last week, like a zombie apocalypse. And just to be clear, that's not what Paul is praying for here. (laughs) Uh, But he prays that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And this word revelation is the Greek word apocalypsis. And that's where we get the English word apocalypse. So that's the word for revelation here in this verse and throughout the Bible. And this word in Greek literally means to uncover or to remove a veil. You know, we we have this kind of language in in English. Uh, We'll talk about uncovering or revealing a truth. Uh, But we also talk about the same concept in the inverse. So we talk about being enlightened, having a light bulb moment. Um, So uncovering or removing a veil is like getting rid of the darkness and uh, being enlightened or light bulb moment is like adding the light, right? Those are kind of paired concepts. And we see this apocalyptic language all throughout the letter to the Ephesians. It's one of the themes that we talked about. You can take your Bibles and turn to Acts 26 or you can follow on the screen. Um, So prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, Paul was one of the most committed opponents to the followers of Jesus. And when he experienced an apocalypse, everything about his life changed. And here in chapter 26, Paul is recounting his apocalypse to King Agrippa. So we're going to read chapter 26, verses 12 through 18. It says, In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus, this is Paul speaking, with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, again, he's talking to King Agrippa, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. This is that apocalyptic language. And when, he had, and when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So this is Paul's apocalypse. This is the moment where Jesus interrupted Paul's life and revealed things to him that would change everything about his life. He went from believing that Jesus was a false Messiah to believing that Jesus was the true Messiah. He went from persecuting followers of Jesus to being a persecuted follower of Jesus. Everything about Paul's life changed because of that moment, because of that apocalypse. He had truth revealed to him. The veil was removed from his eyes and he saw clearly for the first time. Just like Paul experienced an apocalypse that changed him, he wants the Ephesians to experience apocalypse that changes them. He wants God to reveal truth to them that changes how they live their lives. So let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. We're going to continue reading here. So he says, That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give y'all the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of y'all's hearts enlightened, that y'all may know. And here, Paul prays that as a result of that apocalypse they would know three things. And I have these pointed out here on the slide. So the first one that we see is he wants them to know what is the hope to which he has called y'all. He wants them to know, uh, secondly, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Uh, And thirdly, he wants them to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So we're gonna take some time and look at these three in detail. So first let's talk about the hope to which he has called y'all. Uh, so hope is one of those terms that Christians use so often that I think we forget that typically knowing and hope are somewhat contradictory terms. Uh, Paul says that he wants them to know the hope to which he, God, has called them. I talked about how their uh, knowing and hope are, can be contradictory depending on how we use the word hope. I think about if I'm getting on a roller coaster and I ask the ride operator if the ride is safe, I'm going to respond very differently if he says, I know it's safe, versus if he says, I hope it's safe, (laughs) right? So the word know, it clearly communicates certainty, but the word hope can communicate uncertainty. But what I want to point out here is that that's not the sense of what Paul is communicating here. And what the biblical authors in general communicate about hope. So by hope, he's referring to our future expectation as followers of Jesus. So here, Paul is praying that through apocalypse, the Ephesians would be enlightened so that they can know the hope, so that they can know their future expectation that God has called them to. You can turn to chapter 2 in Ephesians. We're going to look at verses 11 through 13. And here... Paul talks about how the Gentiles in Ephesus and really all around the world did not previously have hope. They had no hope. We're gonna read 11 through 13. It says, therefore, remember that at one time, y'all Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that y'all were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel And strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, y'all who were who once were far off, the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the Gentiles had no hope, and they were without God in the world, but they've now been brought near by the blood of Christ. And now as followers of Jesus, we have a future expectation of glory in the kingdom of God. This is not something that we experience in full in this life, but we can ask God to help us know it now. That's what Paul's saying here. Hebrews 6 talks about how hope is the anchor of our soul. I love that imagery. No matter what our present circumstances are, hope keeps us anchored in our allegiance to Christ. All right, now let's look at the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And we actually just talked about this last week when, uh, when Pastor, Pastor Will preached on inheritors in him uh, when we discussed verses 11 through 14. So I, I really recommend you, you go back and listen to that sermon. He talked a lot more about this than I'm gonna talk about today. But in short, as people who've been adopted into the family of God, we do have an inheritance that's coming to us. We've received the spirit, which is the down payment of that inheritance. That is proof that that is coming to us in full. As Will said last week, he said, quote, there is more to this inheritance that is still coming, and it's coming to us in the kingdom of God. Finally, let's look at uh, the third thing that Paul wants us to have an apocalypse so we can know He wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So let's read verses 19 through 20 again. It says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? So this is one of those sections that I think we really have to slow down and look closely at what's being said. Because if we don't, we can bring our previous ideas about power that's referred to here in the text uh, to the text. right? And we don't want to do that. We want to draw meaning out of the text, not put our own understanding on top of the text. Um, So if we think about our modern concept of power, we typically think about our ability to exercise our will, like to make things happen, right? In fact, Merriam-Webster defines power and they typically try to uh, keep their their definitions up to date with how that word is understood today. Um, So they define power as possession of control, authority, or influence over others. So that's like the modern understanding of power that is just the water that we're swimming in when we think about power. I know that when I've read this verse in the past, I've also read this power as being my power in this verse. So if you combine those two parts, those two understandings, you can end up with a reading that expresses how great our power is to exercise our will. But the problem with that is that that's not what the verse says here. I know that, um, so as, as I said, the problem is that's not what the verse says What it does say is it says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? So it's God's power toward us who believe. It's God's power that he directs towards us, that he works for us, for our benefit. And then immediately, Paul qualifies what type of power he's talking about. In case there's any confusion about what power he meant, or in case that definition changed over time, Paul lays out what he means by power. So it says, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So Paul's saying, oh yeah, that that power that I'm talking about, that isn't God's power to make us do whatever he wants us to do. It's the same type of power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead and to exalt him at his right hand. This is a power to bring life out of death and to exalt his son to rule over the unjust powers of the world. This is upside-down power relative to today's standards. We've talked about the upside-down kingdom. This is upside-down power. Uh, today's standard of power is often used to bring death and it's used to exalt the powers of the world. But As I said, this is upside-down power. Bring life out of death and to exalt his son over the powers of the world. This is also the power that undergirds that hope that he's called us to and the glorious inheritance that's coming to us in the kingdom of God. That same power that raised Jesus up and exalted him is going to raise us from the dead and exalt us when Jesus returns to establish the kingdom of God. All right, so now we we get to the, the four layers of interpretation slide that we've been going over each week. And we have this slide here to pause and remind us that we have essentially been reading someone else's mail, right? This is, Ephesians is an epistle that just means letter. It was a letter that was sent from Paul to believers in the town of Ephesus and probably the surrounding community. So we're reading someone else's mail, so before we can understand what the text means to us and we can apply it in our lives, we need to understand what the text meant to them and how they would have applied it based on their culture, their previous understanding, uh, the time that they were living in. So if we think about um, this prayer, verses 15 through, through 23, um, they would have seen this part of the letter as part of a, like a standard part of letters that they received. They would have expected a prayer to be included in here. And they would, have, would come from a pagan cultural and religious background where your prayer with the, the gods would essentially be, um, the purpose of that would be to appease them, right? You would pray and make sacrifices to the gods when you needed to get on their good side. Um, so they would have likely benefited from this example of prayer that Paul provides here as well. Uh, This pagan background also would have provided a backdrop for their understanding of hope, inheritance, and power, especially in a city like Ephesus that centered around the cult of Artemis. They would be reassured that God's power for them was the same power that had exalted Jesus above the powers and that would raise them from the dead. And they would be reassured that God had exalted Jesus above Artemis above any of the Greek or Roman gods. So now we can get to what this means to us and how we can apply it. So, Paul may not have prayed these prayers for the saints who are at Compass Christian Church, (laughs) uh, but just like the Ephesians, I think we can learn a lot from Paul's prayer here. We get a window into how Paul prayed, we can pray beyond our circumstances continue to pray for our circumstances but also pray beyond our circumstances and we can ask God to reveal things to us that will help us to know him better and the ultimate goal of that is to lead to change in our lives uh, we too can pray for a deeper understanding of the hope that he has called us to the riches of his glorious inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us So let's pray Almighty God, we thank you for all that you have already revealed to us. We thank you for your plan that has come to fruition in your son, Jesus. We're so grateful that through him you have chosen us. God, we ask you to continue to reveal your truth to us, to enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we can know the hope that you've called us to, the riches of your glorious inheritance and the immeasurable greatness of your power that is for us, that power that raised Jesus from the dead and that seated him at your right hand as king of this age and also the age to come. And God, we are so thankful that that same power that will raise us from the dead to live forever in your kingdom when your son returns. And it's in his name we pray, Amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslou.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.